Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Uh, Happy New Year. I haven't seen you guys since last decade, so that's weird. But um, yeah, that's a true story, right? 2020. Crazy. So I was born in 1987. Uh, Super old. That makes me 32. Uh, The youngest, uh, most handsome man on staff, by the way, in case you were curious. Um, But besides that, uh, it's crazy to think that it is 2020, right? Does anyone else just think back, like when when the clock hit midnight, you're celebrating New Year's Eve. Uh, pause, time out. How many of you guys were already asleep? Let's start there. Any sleepers? All right. All right. You're new parents, so you're disqualified. What's up, guys? Like, it's New Year's. Come on. Come on. It's just another day. Is that what it is? <laughs> Look, I get it. I get it. Honestly, I was asleep too. So uh, I, I make, give you guys a hard time. Yeah, I woke up the, the next day and I was like, man, 2020. Like, where, what happened, right? Like, where did Where's time gone? I feel super, you know, ancient saying it that way. But it's true. I have this nostalgia feeling of this, like, wow, maybe 2020 is another year, right? But it also carries with it this feeling of, like, whenever, it, like, the calendar hits certain year marks, right? 2000 in itself, right? The turn of the century, 2010, 2020. There are these obvious markers for me that I'm like, Man, it's been a whole decade. Man, it's been 20 years. I can remember like Y2K, right? Any of you guys remember that? I'm going to show my age even more, right? Y2K, like all the computers were going to crash, right? Bill Gates was freaking out, right? Nobody knew what was going to happen. Apple was safe because they're superior, right? But everyone else was freaking out. And in that moment, like the clocks turned midnight, you know, 2000 happened and nothing changed. Everything was so good, right? But there was just this, these moments throughout history, you kind of, it causes more of a pause button, if you will, right? At least it did for me. And so as we start this brand new series, uh, kind of into the new year, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Steve did a one-week uh, kind of mini-series, if you will, or it's a one-week uh, sermon, if you will, on my one word. It's kind of our annual uh, moment where right after the new year or right before the new year, depending on kind of how the calendar falls, we do a sermon called My One Word. And if you were here for it, there's information on the back table for you to go look at some other information on kind of how to kind of discover what your word is for 2020. If you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast. I only have 30 minutes, so I can't re-preach Steve's sermon. I'm already running behind as it is. But I just would encourage you strongly, instead of pursuing a New Year's resolution, pursue a word that God is calling you to kind of live into this year. My word for 2019 was freedom. How is God calling me to step into places of freedom, both from my past, from things that I felt like had enslaved me, things that I was feeling bondage from, and how do I walk into freedom where God wants freedom for me? And it's cool as I kind of come to the end of the year, I always go back and look through some of the prayer journals that I keep, through some of the writings that I keep, and just my own like kind of reflective time. And man, I am very thankful that although it wasn't like this you know, super spiritual moment, I felt like there was a lot of freedom that God brought into my life in 2019. 
And, and, so, and so I'm still discovering what my word is. So by next week, I'll have it figured out. I have a lean of kind of where I'm headed, but I, I really hope that you would find a word for you that's kind of your rallying cry for 2020. And so as we begin this, this new series, it's just a three-week series that we're doing called Genesis. If you're not aware, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, right? Starting in the Old Testament. And it's one of the largest books in the Bible. And so throughout the book of Genesis, it documents so many things that kind of began the story, and not only of creation, but really of God's pursuit of humanity and humanity trying to figure out how they connect with God in this relationship. There are so many key players that show up in Genesis that we still look back on and reflect. As you look through throughout the rest of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, these names pop up all the time. So guys like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all these key players show up in Genesis, apart from even the historical figures like Adam and Eve. And so most of this ancient development history of kind of where God begins to separate his people away and kind of even not only introduce the world in itself through this beautiful poem in the first couple chapters of Genesis, but this story of kind of God's connection with his people and the connection with humanity is, is a lot of it's outlined in the book of Genesis. So we're going to preach about three-hour sermons every week for the next three weeks. There's no other way really to do Genesis except for like a nine-hour sermon series, and even that probably isn't due. So we're going to add extra sermon series uh, services, right? So there's a 10 o'clock hour you can come back to tonight. We'll have drinks and stuff for you to come. It's called Happy Hour at Awaken. No, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, there's not enough time for us to really dive into all of the depth that's needed. But, um, and I know all you guys will show up at 10 o'clock tonight with some drinks, right? I know, I knew you guys would show up. My kind of people, I love it. But in all seriousness, we are going to dive into just tonight the, the beginning of the creation story. How many of you guys would say if you, you grew up in some kind of a Christian background, you grew up hearing most of scriptural stories, things like that in your household? Even if you didn't go to church every week, the Bible was a part of your life, God was a part of your life as a kid. Okay, so a lot of you. How many of you guys ever grew up in like the Sunday school world where you had like the felt boards with like the little cutouts, you had like the felt boards, right? Here's the thing about the felt board Sunday school stories, right? And this is also on my notes, but here we go, right? The thing about those stories is some of them are pretty graphic stories that are told at a Sunday school level, but yet if you were to make a movie out of them and be accurate to the text that we read it, it would be a rated R movie. So tell me how we get Sunday school felt board Moses and then we get like murderer Moses and all like depicted in a healthy diagram, right? I don't know how that works, but here's the thing. As we look at the story of Genesis, it's very much an unrated story of kind of what happens. And one of the things that for me is I've kind of pursued not only theological training, but just my own study and, and research and kind of my own beliefs around so many parts of the Bible. As I look back to Genesis, I've learned so many things that for me, and not only unlocked characteristics of God, but also unlocked how I view Scripture at large. They start from the story in Genesis. And so if you're not aware, the author of Genesis is Moses. He's the one who orally tells this story of Genesis. It's been passed down through generations when it was finally recorded. And Moses begins this, this depiction of Genesis through basically the telling of a poem. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the creation theology tonight, but I just want to lay out a couple of basic things here because it's important. The first one is to say there are a lot of people that call themselves Christ followers. 
who have different opinions and beliefs as to what's actually happening in these first three chapters. I don't have time to get into that tonight, but I'm a theology nerd, so if you want to grab coffee with me, I'd love to talk to you more about it. But there's a lot of people who believe different things pertaining to these first three chapters. I'm going to bypass the which one I am and which one maybe you are, because it's not really uh, pertinent to the text tonight. And I'm just going to tell you that it is a poem. How much of it is meant to be historically accurate or not is not for tonight. The point is that there is absolutely things from this passage that apply to not only the story that God's trying to tell through this poem, but also that pertain to you and I today. And especially if you look at things in the Old Testament, it's so easy for us to look at these things as just like we're reading a history book, right? And how many guys, history is your favorite subject in school? History guys, anybody? All right, really, I thought maybe English, any English people? Wow, crazy, disappointment. Math, right? All right, wow. Recess, there we go. All right, perfect. I love history. I love a good uh, story. When the, when the movie comes on, right, and I'm in the theater and it says, this is, this is told from like a, a historical accounts or, you know, it's, it's based on a true, true story or based on true events. I love that stuff. I love reading a story or watching a movie that something is based on true events and obviously how it takes it and run with it, right? But as I look at the Genesis story, there's so much about who God is that's outlined in these first few pages of what we call the Bible that if we just skip over it as just like we're reading a history book, we will miss so much of the heart of who God is. So a couple of things I want to point you to. We're going to read a bunch of scriptures together, rapid fire. So if you're a note taker, I would just ask you to write down the references on the back of your program tonight and revisit them on your own because I'm going to fly through these really fast. They'll be up here on the screen behind me as well, but we're not going to spend a lot of time in one passage consistently, okay? So the first one I'm going to read is literally the first two verses found in the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. There's this word that we use in Christianity called the gospel, right? And the gospel is usually referred to as good news. And if you take it one step further, the good news is really it, the most simplest form, this beautiful idea that God has this love affair for humanity and he will do whatever it takes to come and intersect with us as human beings and not only meet us there, but bring us along with the story that he's unfolding, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. In order, though, to have good news, he has, there has to be some kind of bad space or bad story or bad something that's there in order for there to be brought good news, right? It makes sense. Logically, in order to bring something good, in contrast, it has to override or overwhelm something that was existing as bad. So the gospel story, as you think about it, is not just simply Jesus Christ on the cross, okay? If that's your definition of the gospel, let me expand it for you a little bit. Because the cross is, although it's a, a focal point of our story as Christ followers, the gospel begins in these next few pages. Because in order to have good news, there has to be something that's wrong. But at this point in the story, there's no need for the gospel or the good news. Right? I mean, it seems fundamental to say, but it's important that you remember. At this point in the story of humanity, we're two verses in, the gospel is non-existent. There is no need for good news because right now, it has not been needed. Right? There's nothing happening. And so this is the first thing I want to point out to you, that 
we will get to this point, but it's important to connect the gospel all the way back to Genesis, okay? Number two, let's keep reading the back end of Genesis 1. If you read the fill in the blanks between there, basically God's just creating stuff left and right, right? And again, I'm not going to go through all of it. That's not, not important, right? But it's just not where we're going tonight. So as we get to the part about humanity, let's read in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Let's stop right there for a second. There is this pluralistic language found in Genesis 1 that defines who God is for the rest of scriptures. And if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, it says the Spirit of God hovered. So you have the Father God who is the author of all, the creator of all things. In John chapter 1, John tells it that the Word became flesh and the Word was a part of the creation story as well. So if you write down the reference, John chapter 1, read that in connection to this story. And you see the Spirit of God hovering at the very beginning of the story. So when God says, let us make us, he's not some crazy psychopath who's talking to himself or has a mouse in his pocket, right? He is God referring to himself in the, in the triune God that he is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is so important because part of how we sometimes understand the creation story is that God creates human beings because he feels incomplete or lonely or that he creates us out of the sense of fellowship with him. And that's not true. God doesn't need us to complete his story. And we're going to circle back to that to the end of the message. But it's important that you understand God's desire is not out of a place of incompletion. It's his desire for us is this desire for love and to partner with us from the very beginning. So when he says, let us make man in our image, let us make human beings in our image, from the very beginning of the story, the imago Dei of God is to create who he is, the characteristics, the attributes of who he is into humanity. The way that they love each other, the way they care for each other, the way they look out for each other. Go through all of the other, the one another's you see throughout the New Testament especially. All of those were part of God's design from the very beginning. That God had hoped and desired for humanity to care for each other the same way that the triune God cares for each other in the process. So let's keep reading. So uh, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock. All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Pause. This is a poem, right? So it's not meant to read as you and I would tell a story, right? That's another, just a good little reminder. Like, why is this read funny? That's why. If you read the gaps in between there where it says night and day, it's not just some weird, po- like, it's not just some weird, like, mess up, right? It's part of the poetry that God's telling in the story. So just as a side note. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit uh, trees for, you, for your food. As much as it may pain me to say, at this point in the story, all of humanity, Adam and Eve, are vegetarians, right? So... Uh, it was part of God's design for us to eat the things that are green on the earth, right? Don't worry, Noah shows up in a few chapters later, and God says, hey, look, everything on the planet is for you. It's a blessing. Go and eat meat. And so don't worry, it's part of God's design a few chapters later to eat the steak. But for right now, at this point in the story, we're also vegetarians, right? It's just, it's one thing that if I were God, I might change, but you know, I'm not. He's perfect, so let's keep going. 
It's important, though, as we kind of look through this story that God has basically brought humanity in. And if you, if you look through the whole story, God basically tells Adam and Eve, primarily Adam at this point in the story because he hasn't actually created Eve in, this, in the poem, he says, go and name and, and, and speak life over all of the, all the uh, animals, the birds, the fish, everything. You can go name them. God the Father, the creator of all things, empowers humanity to be a part of the creation story. Adam's not just a benefactor of what God has created. He is a co-author. Right? Imagine if, uh, so Jeff and Heather just had a baby, right? So God created the baby, right? It's God's gift. God uses humanity through that. But what if, uh, what if Heather and Jeff were like, hey, who wants to name our baby, right? And they just like offered it out there, right? And now you're a part of their story because you just started naming babies, right? That would be kind of weird. It's important, though, within this story that you think about, man, how weird is it that God, who created all things and had just created humanity, says, hey, why don't you start naming stuff? That'd be kind of cool, right? Dog. Tiger. Dinosaur. These are all categories, right? There's probably better names out there, but you get the idea. I think it's so cool that God wanted to have humanity a part of the story. And this is another important part of how I read Scripture now because God's desire for his church, the body of believers that we are today, from the beginning of time has always been, hey, will you join me in what I'm doing? It's not sit back and work the benefits of it, which is how too often Christ followers honestly live, is I'll just sit back, you bless me when you're able to, God, and I'll show up and do some church stuff when I'm supposed to, and Cool, we'll figure it out. God's like, no, no, from the very beginning, get your hands dirty with me. Hop in here. We're going to do this together. So I think it's so important to the story of what God is trying to do in the first chapter, okay? So let's keep reading. Um, and this is actually kind of summarized through Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord, uh, Lord, of God, the Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So, sidebar, God and Adam have a regularly, they're, they're conversing regularly, right? They are in communication. Again, it's super important that God's desire from the very beginning is that God would speak to us and that we would have conversations with him. Nowadays, we call that prayer, right? But it's this idea that God absolutely desires to be in relationship with us and talk with us, not talk to us. It's an important distinction, right? God doesn't just want to talk to you. He wants to talk with you. They have conversations, and we see that throughout the next even few chapters as things kind of begin to go haywire in the Garden of Eden. But at this point, it's still a good reminder that God desires to communicate with his children. So let's start with a tree. When I first started really learning more about Scripture and understanding things, it was mostly probably in high school. I remember asking one of the youth leaders in the youth group that I was attending what I thought was probably a dumb question, but just didn't make sense to me. And maybe it's not a dumb question after all, because maybe you've thought of it too. Why would God put something in the middle of the garden and says, hey, you can do whatever you want. Just don't touch that thing. Because guess what I want to do if I'm Adam? I want to touch that thing that you told me not to, right? 
That's like saying, basically, because he says, right, you will surely die. It's like me walking into your house, putting a fully loaded gun on the table and saying, hey, don't touch that, right? Like, it's just, it's a random insert to the story is how it feels on some level. I don't own a gun, so don't worry. That's not a gun comment. That's just a Philip comment, right? They scare me. But, and the reality is, I'm sure this tree scared Adam. But why would God, in his infinite wisdom, put something in the middle of the garden and says, hey, just don't do this? And, and here's Philip's theory, right? For whatever it's worth. It's, this is not a scriptural thing. This is just a, my tooth sense on it. So if you don't like it, throw it away. But I, I honestly, we don't use this word enough because it sounds, um, it has legalistic tendencies to it. But from the beginning of time, I think God absolutely, as, as our Father, desires for us to understand what obedience looks like. And true obedience leads to eternal joy. That's not up here on the slides, but maybe something to write down. That true obedience leads to eternal joy. That if you want to find the joy that surpasses all understanding, that begins to bubble up within you, that overcomes whatever situations you are, I'm not referring to being happy in inappropriate spaces. I'm referring to a joy that comes from knowing that God is still there and that God's still at work in the midst of all things. That peace that comes from that joy is absolutely connected to us walking in obedience to God. And I think from the beginning of time, God wanted to say, look, if you choose to obey me, you will find joy all throughout the garden. Right? But like any ADD two-year-old on pixie sticks for an hour, they begin to find something that they want to mess up, right? So in this story, you kind of bypass chapter three, uh, you begin to see this whole story kind of unravel, right? Welcome to the introduction of the gospel. Welcome to where uh, stuff hits the fan, and all of a sudden, now you've got to figure out in the story kind of what, wh where do we as humans go from here? So I'm going to tell you a really quick version again. Read it yourself. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, right? But Adam and Eve are going through the garden, and then all of a sudden they meet this guy over here, right? Mr. Serpent Man, right? I bought a prop for tonight. What's up, guys? Right? So he's hanging out, right? And they're like, hey, what did God really say about, can you guys actually pay attention to me, or are you guys looking at the snake the whole time? All right, put this down. I actually just found this today, and I was like, man, when else would I be able to use a stuffed snake in a sermon? That makes perfect sense, right? You guys weren't as impressed as I thought you'd be, so we'll just keep going. But the serpent basically, right, again, it's a poem, right? So go with me here. But the serpent here talks and tells Eve, hey, what did God really say about it? That you'll surely die. And the serpent says, that's not true. God just doesn't want you to become as good as him or even better than him. He doesn't want, he want you to know what he knows. Because if you eat of this tree, you'll be just as good as God. Welcome to the Messiah complex that we all have as human beings buried within us from the beginning of time that we can be God and we can be our own Savior and we can fix it all. Because now the serpent had created within humanity this desire to feel incomplete. And the moment that you and I begin to feel incomplete, we fill it with something. 
And I'm going to give you four examples of how we do that today in modern examples. But I just, I want to pause for a minute because regardless of, again, the creation theology, regardless of the poetic nature of the story, it is without a doubt from the beginning of time that we as human beings struggled and still struggle with this idea that we can be our own God. We don't use that language. We're not hanging out, having coffee, and like, you know what? How are you doing this week? You know what? I'm really trying to be God again this week. It's just not going great, right? Like, it doesn't come out of our mouths that way. But when you continuously choose to try to fix yourself, when you continuously try to allow other people to fix you, when you continuously seek to fulfill the holes you have by things in this world, when you continue to try and fix it with even the parameters of religiosity, you will continue to find yourself in the same place Adam and Eve find themselves in Genesis chapter 3, which is feeling empty, naked, and void. So what happens? They eat of the fruit, right? By the way, Adam's standing there the whole time while Eve's having this interaction, like, Basically, picking his nose, not doing anything, right? Like, the most passive waste of a human being in this story, right? Like, no offense, like, maybe I'll do the same thing, but it just seems like, where are you at, bro? Like, like are you going to argue, like, have a discussion? He's like, no, that sounds great, let's do it. Cool, right? So, long story short, they eat the fruit, right? It wasn't an apple, probably a pomegranate, in my opinion, but whatever, not here, not there. So, they eat the fruit, and all of a sudden, they realize they're naked, they, they feel shame, and they hide. So what do they do? They go hide in the bushes, right? They put on some cloths, because now they're naked, right? Shocking, they were naked all along. And then they hide from the creator of all things, right? They're doing great. Like, this is, this is premium logic here of humanity that happens from the very beginning. So, Genesis 3.8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the, from the Lord God among the trees. Trees, bushes, whatever, right? So what happens? Adam says, hey, it wasn't me. It was her. It was that woman that you put here beside me, right? Guys, if you're married, just don't ever say that. Like, it's not a good idea. Like, don't ever say, like, it was that woman, right? Just, it's already off to a bad start, Right? Definitely not in front of your wife, right? Not a good idea. So instead of taking any blame on his own, Adam passes the buck to Eve and then basically goes on to tell the rest of kind of what had happened. So at this point in the story, there is this thing in the Old Testament called shalom. It's the Hebrew word for peace. And the shalom of humanity had now been broken. Shalom is this perfect peace that God desired from the very beginning. And if you fast forward and read the last few pages of the same Bible that we're referring to tonight, there's another garden and another tree. There's another poem being told about that tree. And again, regardless of what your end times theology is, not relevant to today, there's a God who tells a story of redemption. It starts in a garden and it ends in a garden. The brokenness of shalom started with a tree and it ends with a tree. From that tree, all life comes in the new creation of the heavens and the earth. 
and shalom is restored. I want to give you this list tonight as we kind of close things up. And again, I don't have time to go into all four of them. I'm just going to give you four examples tonight that as I was kind of reading through the scriptures tonight pertaining to this passage, what I would encourage us to do as human beings now in the 21st century, 2020, right, that we would look at how we evaluate these stories pertaining to Genesis chapter 1 through 3, right? There are four wells we try and draw from as human beings that will all leave us empty and void the same way it left Adam and Eve. The first one is that we try and fix it ourselves. There's this belief within, especially our society today in the Western world, that you can absolutely make yourself a better version. My guess is, whether you're a Christian or not in this room, whether you were a Christian 10 years ago or not, you've probably told yourself 10 years ago, hey, I bet if I get better, things will get fixed. I bet if I can only just be a better version of myself, these things in my life will just stop happening. There is this lie within all of us that you can fix yourself and thus fix the surroundings and the situations that you keep finding yourself in. And that lie is circular. It's a black hole. It will bring you down and keep circling you throughout it because it was never designed for you to fix yourself. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. I love the desire that we have as humans to fix ourselves from the nature of God always wants us to be growing and working towards becoming better. But it's not us doing it, it's us actually getting out of the way and allowing the Holy Spirit, whose whole purpose in living in us as Christ followers is to transform us into becoming more like Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit. You cannot become more like Jesus by yourself. Keep trying. We'll have this conversation next year, 2021, and we'll see how it went, right? And we'll come right back here where you cannot fix yourself. So for those of you who walk in here tonight because you're exhausted of trying to fix the situations in your life, can I give you some good news? Stop. Because there is a God who wants to step in. His way of fixing, by the way, the situations may not be your way of fixing it, but make no mistake, he is there to walk into your life, to open up the closets of your heart and begin to work through the junk so that you can absolutely become more like Jesus and reflect the hope of God out into the world. Number two, others. The second well that we try and draw from is other people. Every one of us at some point in our life has looked to a relationship, a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, a child, a friendship, a parent. We've looked to someone else because we feel incomplete and we ask them to fix it. I do a lot of weddings. I've been ordained as a pastor for 12 years. I've done approximately around 50 weddings in 12 years, which is a lot of weddings. One of the things that you will never hear me say in a wedding is anything pertaining to 
this person completes you. It's one of the biggest lies of a love story. No human being will ever complete you. The only thing, the only one who will complete you is Jesus Christ. And if you and I keep pursuing relationships to fix the voids that we feel, that we feel in our hearts, in our lives, in our souls, we will continue to put this hope in other people and they will continue to let you down and disappoint you because newsflash, they were never designed to fill that hole. Again, that's a child, a spouse, a friendship, a coworker, a parent, whatever it is. And even if you're a Christ follower, we all fall back in these tendencies from time to time. So tonight, as you're taking notes, as you're reflecting through these last couple songs of worship, man, I would encourage you, figure out which one of these wells is your go-to. Which one of these things you often go to in those moments where you have the God complex, you feel incomplete, and you try and fill it with something? Because now all of a sudden you realize you're naked and shameful and void. What is it for you? Is it other people? Is it yourself? Number three, it's the world. Right? Pretty basic. There's something that the world has out there that you think will fix the void for that moment. I'll use basic examples, right? Because I'm not trying to be, again, legalistic here, but things like drugs, sex, alcohol, food, obesity, whatever it is, there are vices in this world that honestly, all those things I just named, minus drugs, God intended for good, right? Sex was designed to be a beautiful thing. Alcohol in moderation, man, it's Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. You can't delete it out of Scripture. It's part of God's story. But how you choose to interact with all of these things speaks to this idea of completeness or void. Which one do you fall on? Because the world will continue to put you in situations where you will fill it with something that will temporarily feel really good, and we all know what happens with the hangover the next morning. Alcohol or not related, right? Use the, 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 the uh, analogy, right? The hangover for all of us is that we leave feeling worse than we started. Because again, there is nothing in your life that will fill that void apart from Jesus Christ. And the last one is religion. I met a woman last year when I was preaching at my home church. I was in town for a weekend. She walked up to me and she was just very complimentary about the sermon. And I said, thank you very much. And she said, honestly, Philip, I've been going to church for 60 years of my life. And I don't think I've ever met the Jesus you talked about today. There is this lie within the world that we can shift to this idea of just doing good things and it will fix us. It's literally how every other monotheistic religion out there describes how you become closer to God is by if you do these commands, if you do these things, if you fix the external parts of who you are, then the internal will happen. And Christianity is the only one out there that says, hey, if you allow God to invade your internal life, the external will begin to be transformed. Where God says, I'm not interested in what you do, I'm interested in who you become. Man, what if Adam and Eve had got that right the first time? I'm interested in who you become, not in what you do. 
man, I don't care about your church attendance. I hope you're here every Saturday because I just love you guys being here. And God has something beautiful planned for our community. If you're not in a missional community yet, I hope that you find others to surround yourself with, but they won't fix your problem. Man, if you're not regularly finding ways to improve yourself, man, figure out how to love yourself better. But remember that it's God who ultimately makes us better than who we are. And I want you to go out and be in the world, live amongst people because the world needs to see hope like they've never seen it before. But do not fall victim to the vices in those moments where you feel empty and void. The story of creation is the story of the good news permeating all of a sudden for the first time, all because people felt incomplete. In the beginning, God was there. In community, God was there. In the beginning, God said, hey, will you partner with me and do this? In the beginning, God says, will you join me on the mission I have? In the beginning, there was shalom. And every time you and I step one step closer to who God is in our lives, we interact with that shalom. That's why when Jesus prays in Matthew chapter 5, teaching his disciples how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Father, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven is this shalom. God, would you bring that shalom to earth? And would you choose to use a broken man like me? Not because of anything in me, but because of who you are in me. There is no good, Paul writes, in me. The only good you see is the Spirit of God living in me. As you begin your 2020, my challenge to kind of kick things off for you in this series especially, as we look back at the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, is to truly be honest with yourself about what is your identity and what are the vices that you find yourself victim to. Because if we can't learn from the first few chapters of Scripture, we will regularly miss out on God's best for us. God's purposes, His plans, His will for you is not only found in the New Testament. Newsflash, right? There's gold throughout the Old Testament. Let's start in the beginning. Let's learn from history itself. And let's choose to be the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God that bring the shalom and the good news wherever we go. Let's pray. God, our prayer as a church at Awaken is that you would cause us to be image bearers of who you are. That we would be a people on mission because you've desired from the beginning of time for us to partner with you. God, in these moments, moments of weakness, God, I pray that you would remind us of these wells that we find ourselves constantly going back to that are empty, that don't offer us anything. Remind us of John 10.10 10, that you have come to give us life and life abundantly. God, would you begin a work within all of us in 2020 of being not only image bearers of who you are, but will we project the shalom of heaven 
into every relationship, every interaction, and even within ourselves, not because of anything we do, but because we've learned to let you come in and do what you do best. To have communion with you, God, that's our desire. Would you bring that shalom back within us so that we can have that eternal joy, so that we can walk in obedience wherever you call us. God, thank you for creating humanity. And God, despite how many times we continue to fail and mess it up, I'm reminded tonight of your grace, that you keep meeting us exactly where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.